Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 49, and we're reviewing Josie, the Tiger, and the Fish. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. I really liked this movie. I thought it was really cute. What did you think? (laughs) (laughs) That's our review. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think compared to... I guess of the two summer movies that we've reviewed thus far for 2021, although technically those are both 2020 movies, but they were just pushed forward because of the state of the world. I think this is the more preferable movie for me than Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop. Yeah, and speaking of Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop, we have um, some things to share, some answers that we received to some of our wow, questions. Nice, nice segue. <laughs> on <laughs> on uh, that review that we have. Before we get into that, I thought it'd be fun for us to do a little bit of a catch-up, um, talk about like us and what's been going on with us. And I don't think we've ever done anything like this before, so maybe we can make it a, a regular thing. Um, but yeah, what's been going on with us? What's What's been new and exciting in, in our lives? As mundane as it sounds, we built some furniture this weekend. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we built some furniture. And uh, yeah, it took all fucking night. Yeah, courtesy of Ikea, of course, because they are the premier, I guess, DIY furniture builder out there. I know when in this world of uh, shortage shortages, I feel like there's shortages with so many different things given the the pandemic and everyone being in their houses and furniture is one of those things. And man, I've been looking for these certain pieces of furniture forever. IKEA had them. I snagged them. I was so excited to build them and I just had no idea that it would take like what five hours I don't know maybe we're just really stupid and inexperienced at this but damn that took a long time (laughs) I kind of compare it to as most of you know I am a lego enthusiast so it's it that kind of process of like building something is very therapeutic and it kind of translates to building like ikea furniture I feel like (laughs) when you're a kid lego is kind of like like you're graduating from building these small sets to building actual pieces of furniture for your own home um so yeah part of it was was kind of nice because like it was the thing that we bought was like a dresser and it came in three different boxes so i had to kind of pull all the parts out of these boxes and kind of arrange everything and then you have these instructions which you know they don't have any words it's just pictures of where like screws or certain pieces of wood need to go and like it was just very confusing trying to figure out what parts they were talking about, but you know, as with like building a Lego set, you you see everything come together, and then at the very end, you just see the fruit of your labors, and I think we did a pretty good job with that. It's functional, so I, I and it looks like the picture, so yeah, I'd say we did a good job. I feel like you and I got enjoyment out of that for different reasons, like you said, you enjoy the similarities to Lego building. For me, I'm incredibly impatient. And I was just so excited mm. to have this dresser be mm. put together. So me diving into the instructions and putting everything together was more just like trying to get to that end goal. And I don't know, I've built a lot of furniture in the past. So I felt like I had a pretty good, you know, grip on what was going on. But damn, this piece of furniture was so big that it took so much longer than I expected. But we that, did it. It's, yeah. it's all set. It looks great in our house. Yeah, that and I guess it took so much time because we neither of us have like power drills so all of it was like screwdrivers and hammers <laughs> i know we really need to get 
<laughs> we really need to get a power drill. We've been in our house, what, two years now? Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of other stuff, but for some reason, the power drill is that one thing that just continues to sit on the uh, the shopping list and never gets bought. So I think this is this is the time. Next time we buy a piece of furniture, or sooner than that, we need to get a power drill. A, or a core drill. As <laughs> <laughs> a reference to Gurren Lagann. Well, what else we've been up to is uh, archery, right? Went to the archery range for the first time. Yeah, that was quite a lot of fun. I We've done it recreationally in the past in kind of a... Like barely. Yeah. Barely like... The like most, a casual setting. Yeah, the most like discount version of archery <laughs> you can imagine, okay? If well, okay. If you've ever been to the Renaissance <laughs> Fair, um, at least here in the Midwest, out in Wisconsin, they have archery and it's like the most rinky-dink discount archery ever, but it's still a lot of fun. I had a good time. Well, I was going to say for me, like you think that's rinky-dink. Um, I've told you this story before, but back in, I'll say high school or early college, a couple of my friends had looked up a video on how to build a bow out of PVC pipe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so one of them went to like Home Depot and bought this huge length of pipe. And then they came over to my house and they used the oven to kind of melt the pipe into a certain form. And it worked, but it was just the most ratchet kind of bow you could think of um and so that was my first experience with a bow as unprofessional as it was but going to like an actual archery range and having a private lesson with an instructor uh, was really helpful and it kind of piqued my interest in in the sport and i know it's particularly piqued your interest because you've been interested in archery for quite some time. Yeah, a little backstory on why we even went to archery. So I, I've i always had an, an affinity um, with archery. I know nothing about it. I've never touched a bow and arrow um, until like now, basically, so my whole life. Um, but I got really into it because The Legend of Zelda is my favorite game series ever. And of course, Link uses a bow and arrow all the time. That would be my favorite weapon to use um, throughout any of those games. And I don't know. I just like fell in love with it. I think it's such an elegant sport. And for me, I I know that, that there's typically two camps in archery. It's like people who love the sport and then people who love to go hunting. Um, and I think there's like what two, two main types of bows, recurve and compound. Now we're getting like really technical, but mm-hmm. there's recurve and compound. And we used both at the archery range. Um, but I much more enjoyed using the recurve bow which looks more like the the traditional bows that you see in gaming and in movies and entertainment um and yeah i think for me i I could see myself getting into it more as just enjoying the sport i don't ever plan to go hunting i can see the practicality behind it but i think i'd I'd love to go and just learn how to use a bow and arrow learn how to be good at it um, understand the techniques behind it and just be able to say i can do that shit yeah, and then you can have it as a self-defense weapon at home, you know, compared to like a, a gun, which I know is kind of loud and a little bit more risky to use. <laughs> can you imagine being a burglar busting into someone's house and you go, like, go upstairs and you just see someone pointing a bow and arrow at you? Like, just the thoughts mm-hmm. going through someone's head, I can only imagine. <laughs> I, yeah, I, being the burglar, I think I'd be more terrified of that than if someone were holding like, a pistol <laughs> in my face just to you kind of question the mental state of a person who uses a bow and arrow (laughs) as their defense weapon. Well, let's hope none of those scenarios ever come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I I am very interested in archery. I had an awesome time learning about it, getting to try out both types of bows. 
And yeah, maybe if this continues to be a thing, we can talk more about our archery journey. Yeah, and actually, after we went to the archery lessons, I started to look up um, archery videos on YouTube. And of course, the most recent event that featured the sport was the Tokyo Olympics. And this is kind of just to kind of relate it to the topics that we talk about in Strictly Anime, which are anime, I noticed in one of the videos. So, you know, like after the event has concluded or in between breaks, it'll show the stats of the athletes across the screen. And you have these panoramics of the, the stadiums or the arenas that they're competing in. There's a video, and I'm sure it's on YouTube and Twitter and other social media, where it was an archery event and in the background, you can faintly hear the first OP of Attack on Titan. Nice. Which I thought was very fitting because for those of you who don't know, the song, the name of the song is Gure no Yumiya, which in Japanese trans or from Japanese to English translates to Crimson Bow and Arrow. So <laughs> <laughs> thought it was very fitting for them. To use that at the event and, of course, incorporate the culture of anime into the Tokyo Olympics. Look at you bringing that full circle to our podcast. Yeah. Well, I do want to just chime in on the topic of the Tokyo Olympics. I don't think we've really shared this, um, at least on the podcast, but you and I were supposed to go to the Tokyo Olympics. Yes. Um, and I know, of course, there there's a lot of controversy around it because of the pandemic and just the safety of everything. But we had booked our tickets right when they opened up, I think about two years or a year and a half before the original date of the Olympics. So well before the pandemic happened. Um, and we were lucky enough to get tickets to archery, which would have been phenomenal to mm -hmm. see. Um, basketball or three on three basketball. Yes. Uh, fencing. And then equestrian, equestrian dressage. Yeah, equestrian dressage, which I didn't know anything about, but apparently it's kind of like the floor routine for gymnastics, but with a fucking horse. And I, I saw some videos and it's pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, we were certainly disappointed to not be able to go to the Olympics, especially after it was postponed once. And then they finally decided to not allow spectators completely understand given the, the world situation. But man, how cool would it have been to be at the archery event, knowing that I love archery, and apparently they played Attack on Titan music. <laughs> Not only that, but we found out as the Olympics were going on that I think the U.S. dressage team, I don't know if it was men or, men's or women's, like they made history in the sport after like 73 years of yeah. them participating in and it. And I'm like 99% sure that event was one of the events that we had tickets to because we actually had two sets of tickets to equestrian dressage. I'm like, damn, I think this is one of the ones we were supposed to be at. So again, yeah. it's 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 a little, you know, it sucks a bit, but we completely understand. We can't be mad at that decision to keep everyone safe. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can, uh, I don't know, make it to another Olympics. Maybe there'll mm -hmm. be Olympics again in Tokyo or somewhere in Japan, and we can try to be there for that one. Or just having the opportunity to go to Japan again. Oh, yeah, that too. Fantastic country, obviously, because we love anime so much. That translates to our love of Japan as well. And to bring that full circle, of course, getting to, to get our hands on anime merch and do all the anime weeb stuff as those annoying tourists in, in Japan. But let's talk about anime a little bit more. So we mentioned that um, we got some 
questions answered from our Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop review, our our patron, Kevin, answered those questions for us. Um, and these are kind of big spoilers for the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, if you want to avoid the spoilers, we recommend skipping ahead a bit. We'll try to keep this in just a couple minutes here. Um, but uh, this is your warning now that you're going to get some pretty big plot spoilers for Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop. Yes. Yeah, so Kevin brought up two points for us. So I think the first thing that the first thing that he mentions is a question we had about um, Fujiyama, Mr. Fujiyama. Yeah, the old um, dude. About how his daughter had no clue about the mother being a musician. So Kevin writes to us saying Tsubaki, who I believe is the daughter's name, did know that her mom was a musician. When she was shown the picture, she wasn't saying her line as if she had no idea. It was more so reaffirming what she already knew and had heard of from her dad since she never met her mom. Yeah, which is interesting because if I recall correctly, which I may not be recalling correctly, it seemed like the translations, the subtitles um, were pointing more towards she had no clue that her her mother was a singer. So that's where a lot of the confusion comes through. Um, so thank you, Kevin, for clearing that one up. Yeah, and the second one is referring to the scene where smile asks cherry to go to the festival with her so he does answer smile by saying ikuyo which in japanese means yeah let's go the scene could also be interpreted that he was responding ikuyo and telling smile let's go inside but then that wouldn't make sense later in the story when both main characters acknowledge the promise so I think here it's just another thing of lost in translation. Yeah, I think having that that question answered, it seems like, okay, my, my take on it now is that in that scene, Smile was asking him to go. Um, he was having a hard time giving her an answer because he knew that he was going to be moving. But then that, that guy, whoever it was, I can't remember his name, Japan, um, yeah. calls out to them saying, hey, guys, hurry up. Like, we need to listen to this record. And then he says, oh, let's go, as in let's go inside. She misinterprets it. So then later when she says, you told me we were going to go to the festival together, I think he has a confused look on his face. He's kind of like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that's maybe what they were intending to do. But either way, thank you, Kevin, for clearing that one up as well. Because I was like, he never responded to her ever. But I think that yeah. was such a subtle move that it went over my head. <laughs> yeah, the same thing. So these are both great answers to things that we had questions on. And thank you again, Kevin, for clearing those up. Yeah, we appreciate it. You're the real one. And transitioning now from one summer 2021 movie to another, which I guess this technically isn't summer 2021, but it kind of is for the U.S. because of the timing of the U.S. release. Yeah. Is Josie the Tiger and the Fish. What a fucking cute movie. This was such a good movie. It didn't blow anything out of the water, no pun intended, um, but it was a solid story with an all-around wonderful delivery, visually, musically, all of that. I just... I think it was just something I, I really enjoyed deep down. Yeah, like I said, of the two movies we've reviewed thus far this season, I preferred this one more to Words Wobble Up like Soda Pop. I think it had slightly similar plot threads to A Silent Voice, not only with having a character that has a disability, but just also in the message of not taking life for granted, but with a slightly less serious tone. And I remember you mentioned at the beginning of the movie that the sound like the score sounded like something out of a disney film and i would say like a lot of this movie also has glaring references obviously to a little mermaid because there's this whole 
metaphor of using the sea and exploring what's out there. A little bit of Rapunzel or Hunchback of Notre Dame with um, Josie trying to or longing to explore the world outside of her confines and her capabilities. Um, one question I did have, though, is with the title. So is it referring to three people or is it saying like Josie, comma, the tiger and the fish? Um, I thought it was just like saying Josie's story with the tiger, like all the the of course the people she faces, but all of the issues she faces, the the conflicts she faces throughout the story, and then the fish. I think those are like her dreams. That's the way I interpret it. Like the fish are a representative of her dreams, her desires. Of course, Suneo and kind of his dreams. The tiger represents the the passerbys that are really fucking rude to her, um, mm. as well as all the conflicts she experiences. And then, of course, she's she's the main character. Um, so you're saying it's three different things. It's not saying Josie is the tiger and the fish. Oh yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think they needed an extra, what do they call that? Extra the Oxford comma? comma. Yeah, which I use. I'm an Oxford comma kind of person. Same here. Um, and I think that's for, I, I do that for additional clarity. So yeah, as an Oxford comma user, I I keep wanting to add a comma after the tiger. So I think they needed that here. But going back to what you were saying about the, the music, 100% agree. The music right out of the gate is so whimsical. As you said, it has that Disney feel to it. Um, and then the visuals as well, especially when we're seeing Josie kind of imagining herself in the ocean. I thought that was just so like classic Disney, so magical, so special. And I will say it triggered the shit out of my thalassophobia. I have major thalassophobia. If anyone's ever been on that subreddit or thalassophobia, I can't. I can't do anything on that subreddit. It's terrifying to me. Which is a fear of the deep sea or the unknown of the deep sea yes it's not a fear of water it's not a fear of deep water it's a fear of the sea as in like if you can imagine just being out in the sea and then seeing like a black shadow come up from underneath you and you can't fucking get away from it and you know it's like a shark or a whale or something Ooh, i'm getting all tense now yeah. <laughs> that's what my fear is um so seeing her swim with that whale <laughs> i was like no no thank you <laughs> and i'm on the opposite end where like i'm fine seeing sea creatures big and small but for me it I don't know how to swim for for the sake of my own life. So <laughs> I've tried to teach you. You know, we'll get yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'll go to like a guppy school or whatever they call guppy them. Guppy school. What are they called? Like those swim schools where you start off as guppies or something. Um, but yeah, just to comment more on the quality of the production, the movie was animated by Studio Bones, which most of us know of my hero fame. They've also done Full Metal Alchemist, Space Dandy, and they've done Oran High School Host Club. Oh, shit. So, yeah. I can't comment enough on the quality of the film. But it was kind of funny that they had a little bit of subliminal advertising at the beginning. Because <laughs> they had that random 7-Eleven that was animated. And you don't... I don't think you usually see that in these films. They always do some weird knockoff parody Yeah, like name. Meg Ronalds for McDonald's. Yeah, or Dawson. In for Lawson. Of, yeah, Lawson. So... That was kind of interesting. Well, to let me add on to that. There's also that moment where I think Josie's grandmother said that, says that she looks like the billboard for Glico. And then the guy's like, what? And then she points up and then it's like literally a billboard for Glico. And it's the the runner, um, you know, kind of with his hands up in the air. I don't know, the, the champion or whatever. I'm like, damn, that's mad product placement. <laughs> oh, so Glico's an actual company. I, I thought yeah. it was like Geico. <laughs> no, if you look it up, Glico's an actual company. I'm Googling it right now. Um, they're, I mean, just, I mean, they're they're well known for their snacks. I mean, they made, they make Pocky. 
Oh, and I didn't their know that. their typical or like their traditional logo. I don't know what you'd call it. Is the Glicolt logo, and underneath is a runner with his hands up. And I think that's that's like what the visual you get in the movie. Um, yeah, kind of like a billboard downtown. Yeah, so I'm that looking... was so blatant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the Wikipedia article, and I it does show that billboard of the the sprinter in a victory pose. But yeah, to piggyback off of what you're saying with the animation, I love this art style. I mean, the way they animate everything, even down to the way they animate the sea or the ocean, is just so amazing, just absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's one of those animation styles that is so pleasing to look at. I loved looking at just the, um, I guess, the environments in general, but also Duneo and Josie's faces. I, I could just not stop staring at them the entire time. Um, I don't know. There's nothing particularly special about the way the faces are animated, but something that they're doing just makes it very pleasing to the eye. And I enjoyed that so much. And of course, you get the the visual shifts along with the tone shifts in the story, where in the beginning you see the sea animated so brightly, a lot of whites, you know, with the, the sea foam and everything. And then when the story takes that darker shift, we see the sea again and it's very dreary. Granted, it's wintertime, but it's very dreary, very muted out, and it looks nothing like it did in the beginning of the movie. Um, but it still looked great. It still looked great. Mm -hmm. I also really loved Tsuneo and Josie's voices. I looked into it a little bit um, because I felt like their, jo their, choices, <laughs> their voices were pretty unique for anime. And um, I guess both of them are voiced by live action actors. Um, kind of reminds me how, you know, in, in Disney films or a lot of, you know, big production animated films in the U.S., they tend to use celebrities for voice actors instead of professional voice actors in the industry. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's cool to have, you know, celebrities do voice acting, but it also takes away opportunities from those professional voice actors. But that aside, I really did enjoy their voices. I, I felt like Tuneo's voice was very deep and mature, which ties in nicely with the fact that he's 22 two in the film mm -hmm. and then Josie's um you know I was expecting her just based on her character design to look or sorry to to be all moe but she's pretty crass and basically a, a sundere and I love it and I think that the voice actor is a great match for that yeah to your point it, it's interesting that they just chose these quote-unquote live action actors because they're, they're all live people <laughs> <laughs> um but I think it's more so for the nuanced performances that they do with the protagonists again it's not like any show show offy voice acting that you typically see with anime but i don't think you need that for suneo and josie um i know that one voice actor of note does appear in this movie which is kazuyuki okitsu who provided the voice of hayato in this film which is uh, suneo's male co-worker and friend and he is actually the voice of Jonathan Joestar. Jonathan Joestar. Yeah, Let's Jojo. go. Yeah, he did a good job. Sounds nothing like Jonathan. Um, I had no idea until I looked it up on Mal. But that's uh, just a testament to his range, his vocal range, I guess. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but a couple more thoughts before we dive into the actual plot. I do want to say, um, you know, I think part of the reason that I really enjoyed this story is because I kind of got Toradora vibes at, at times. Tuneo and Josie remind me a lot of Taiga and Ryuji, especially Josie being a blonde, small tsundere who calls her tall, dark-haired counterpart her servant. I mean, that's like straight out of uh, Toradora. I don't know which came first. Maybe one copied the other, but I think that's another reason why this tugged at my heartstrings a little bit more. Um, however, on the flip side, I will say that the movie felt pretty safe. 
they never took any big risks with any aspect of the movie at all, um, which is probably why it feels like a solid film, but not a standout or incredible film. Um, again, it was super enjoyable. I loved watching it. I would be happy to watch it again, but nothing, I think, took that film to the next level where I'd call it you know, one of the best films I've ever seen. A Silent Voice, Your Name, those are still standout, top-of-the-line movies for me. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, This movie doesn't really break any ground, and I don't think it it needs to. But what I kind of focus on is how it develops the relationship between the two protagonists or who end up being the couple. And quick aside, you might hear a motorbike in the background. Um, There's a motorcycle back there. (laughs) I can't do the noise. How do you do the noise? (laughs) For any of you South Park fans out there. Um, But yeah. Again, like you said, the movie plays it safe, and there's definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, It's still an enjoyable movie. And I didn't know the thing about it being similar to Toradora, uh, but just to give a broader context, the movie is actually based on a short story by an author named Seiko Tanabe, and it was released in 1984. So in that case, maybe Toradora did take some inspiration from the original story. Um, And there were actually two previous adaptations of the short story before we got this animated feature. Um, One was in 2003 as a Japanese live action film. And then there was another one in 2020 as well as a Korean live action film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I don't know which of the three is more faithful to the short story. I did read a little bit about the Japanese live-action version, and the story strongly deviates from what happens in this anime film. Uh, I don't know what the 2020 Korean one looks like, but I guess it's just everyone's different interpretation of the story. And speaking of the story, let's go ahead and dive into our synopsis and discussion, no pun intended, for Josie the Tiger and the Fish. Josie the Tiger and the Fish is a 2020 Japanese animated romantic comedy drama film based on the short story of the same name by Seiko Tanabe. The film is directed by Kotaru Tamura from a screenplay by Sayaka Kuwamura and animated by Studio Bones. The story follows college student Tsuneo and paraplegic dreamer Josie as the former helps the latter discover the wonders of the outside world. And as always, we will structure our discussion by splitting the movie into three parts. I guess you could call it the beginning, middle, and end. So to start with the first part of the beginning, college student Tsuneo works at a diving shop and seeks other part-time work in order to fund his dreams of following in Jotaro Kujo's footsteps and studying marine biology at a university in Mexico. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) He eventually finds his need fulfilled after rescuing wheelchair-bound Josie from a wild round of wheels on the slope. Though she is bitter and hostile towards her happenstance hero, Josie's grandmother hires Tsunamu to keep tabs on her and basically bend to her iron-fisted will within their household. Tsunamu nearly hands in his pink slip. Wait, Tsunao? Tsuneo? Tsunamu. Oh, <laughs> Tsunamu. Oh, like it was a like tsunami. tsunami. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying Tsunao. I'm like, huh? No, Tsunamu. <laughs> Sorry, that went over my head. Yeah, Please my, continue. <laughs> my way of remembering these names. Uh, Tsunamu nearly hands in his pink slip after enough of the bullshit but discovers Josie's longing to break free of her bleak surroundings and explore the outside world after stumbling into her room and discovering all her sea-related gadgets and gizmos aplenty. He takes Josie to the seaside, where she fulfills a promise to her deceased father to discover that the ocean tastes as salty as her attitude 
and a fertile friendship flows forth like the raging seas of Atlantis. All right, so I just want to say right from the get-go, I love that at the beginning, all we get is that Josie was born this way, that she was born with a disability and therefore she uses a wheelchair. Um, That's it. That's all we get about her disability. And to me, that is perfectly fine. Sometimes you don't need some elaborate emotional backstory. Um, Sometimes all you need is this is just the way it is and focus on the present and the future and how the characters work around that situation um, versus, you know, spending too much time talking about why it happened in the first place. Same with her parents. Like she's I guess she's technically an orphan, right? Even mm-hmm. just, even though she has her grandmother, she doesn't have her parents anymore. We don't find out how or when they passed away, um, just that they did. And this is her situation now. And I think that the way they handled it was absolutely perfect. Sometimes it doesn't work because they throw it at you, but you just feel like you need more based on the way the story plays out. Here, I was totally good with it. I think it was great. And to kind of comment on that more, I think I like that the film doesn't try to make Josie a very sympathetic character at all from the get-go, um, kind of in comparison to Nishimiya from A Silent Voice. I know they both have um, these disabilities, but they don't, like the films don't focus too much on that. And it's, you know, it's something that you wouldn't expect from this kind of character. Like you would try to, you would think that they'd be like more timid or anything, but here it's just... Josie's a kind of a bitch to, to <laughs> She's a classic tsundere. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, the way I justify it, it, justify it is it might just be a result of her just being sheltered for most of her life. Um, but, again, I did not expect that from her right from the get-go. Especially, like, she, I think she likes, oh, she bites his hand and then calls him a pervert. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think it worked so well and it was very refreshing to not have her be some Moe character. Nothing wrong with Nishimiya from A Silent Voice, but it was just kind of cool to have her be a very strong-willed, um, very, very Sundere character. I mean, she really is the, the archetype. Um, but I also got Rapunzel vibes. I think you mentioned this earlier, like, you know, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Rapunzel um, vibes with her not being allowed to go out because the world is scary, but her longing to experience the world. But then we see also the the side effects of that, which is that she has social anxiety from being kept inside all the time as we go through this first part of the movie and she finally gets to see a bit of the outside world. Yeah, and again, to go back to these Disney references, um, one scene that stuck out um, in this beginning half or this beginning part is when Suneo goes back to his apartment and looks at the um, Clarion Angel poster and the Clarion Angel will uh, factor in later in the movie as well. But after that, the scene changes to like this sea-like, like the seascape where we also see Josie swimming through the city with these mermaid-like fins. Um, to your point, it's highlighting her yearning to like explore things outside of the confines of her home. And that obviously sounds like Ariel from The Little Mermaid, right? Where she wants to... I don't remember much of The Little Mermaid. I don't think I ever actually fully watched that movie. Huh? You've never seen The Little Mermaid? Okay, well. <laughs> no, no. Like, you know, like, um, Disney used to release those videos of, like, the, the music video clips yeah. from the movies. I've seen those. So I've okay, seen so her perform. So you've never seen all of The Little Mermaid? No, I've seen her perform Part of Your World and, you know, Under the Sea. Oh, my like, all God. Those sequences. Prince Eric? <laughs> None of that? Oh, my God. Okay, well, then that's what we're adding to our list of non-anime things you need to watch. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
Um, but going back to like this theme of like the sea com- constantly coming up in the movie, I like that they use it as a metaphor because I think it highlights the similarities between both of these characters as they have like two different pursuits of freedom, right? So Sunoyo has this passion for the sea that he wants to explore through an educational setting. And then again, Josie with her yearning to see more of the outside world. So it's like the sea is this bridge between the two characters and can be interpreted in these multiple ways. One as like this vast expanse of unknown knowledge for Suneo, and on the other side, like this wide domain of exploration for Josie. Yeah, and to that theme of the sea, I, I love how um, how Suneo tells her that he has an appreciation for anyone who loves the sea or has an affinity for the sea, and they're just complete opposites here. Like they both love the same thing, but he has the ability to not only be in the ocean, but to actually go diving and be close to the the sea creatures and everything. Despite you know thalassophobia being a thing, I can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, and then Josie, on the other hand, has no ability to do that not only physically but just her grandmother keeping her sheltered she can't even just go to the ocean and taste the water um i mean she's extremely removed from something that she loves so much so it's interesting to see um how their dynamics are very very different in that sense um i do want to call out from the beginning of this movie i mean the very very beginning someone fucking pushed josie down that hill like I, I, when she started rolling down and then Tsuneo catches her and all of that, I'm like, okay, we're all good here. And then the grandma comes down and says, why did that person push you down the hill? And I'm like, some asshole pushed her down the hill. That's so fucked up. And they don't really talk about it after that. They just say there are terrible people out there and the world's dangerous and this is why you shouldn't go out. But I was like, holy shit, she could have died. She could have got, she could have been really seriously injured and some dude pushed her and no one's going to go after the guy. <laughs> Yeah, the plot hole is that they should have filed a police report. I know, right? <laughs> and Holy crap. And whoever pushed her down this slope. Um, but I think that, again, falls back to um, Josie's reluctance to like open up to Sunia because, again, she's not very socially skilled. And you know, because of that, she doesn't trust the people that she sees around her in the outside world. Yeah, and similarly, when they go to the train station, yeah. we see, you know, all these inconsiderate passerbys, um, and that was very, very frustrating as the viewer. I, I, I do, I did find it interesting as well that she called them tigers. Of all the things that you can call, you know, those types of people, she calls them tigers, which of course then plays into the the title of the film. Um, but I will say, despite all of these situations where people are, you know, they're they're less than good to her. Um, or downright disrespectful, she ultimately doesn't let that ruin her day, which is an indication early on in this film of her strong personality. She may be timid, she may be socially awkward just given her her upbringing, but ultimately she has a strong personality. She's a very strong-willed character, and this is kind of the, the hints we get at that um, until she starts to achieve more independence later on in the film, which we'll get to. Yeah, to comment a little further on that scene, like for her to call that train passenger a tiger I, I would say it's it's similar again to her initial reaction to Suneo um the way I, I interpreted it is that she believes that the outside world has all these forces against her although Suneo kind of helps to break out of that mentality and I like how immediately after that moment happens you see the passenger get berated by another a woman that he bumps into 
So I think there it's Josie seeing karma at work and seeing that the universe isn't always going to conspire against her. Like some people will eventually get their due in the end. And one more like visual metaphor that I wanted to call out, which it seemed kind of blatant, but I, I enjoyed it, is that I think this is ripe after Sunio intends to quit because he's like done with Josie's shit. Um, he hears her grandmother trying to look for her outside their house. And then eventually he finds her about to cross the train tracks and like the, the guardrails are down as the train passes by, which, you know, I think it was like a physical representation of the barrier that she has in trying to explore the outside world. But of course it's Sunio who is the one to actually guide her through this physical obstacle. And that's, basically represented throughout the movie as well to piggyback off of that going back to her strong personality in that same scene she actually goes under the guardrail All and right, goes on yeah. the tracks which <laughs> holy shit that's terrifying and, and very very dangerous that but, would have been the end of the movie <laughs> yeah oh my god but i think that represents um to your point her wanting to break past those barriers her being very strong-willed and saying i don't need anybody i'm gonna fucking go although in this situation she should not have gone mm -hmm. because she could have died or isekai um, Yeah, she could have isekai I mean, yeah, that'd be a great alternative. Into a world of tigers and fish. <laughs> oh my god, fucking isekais. Um, but yeah, that's a, another great scene that um, I thought was a good setup for kind of the dynamic that we would get through the rest of the film. And I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, probably to the part two of this movie. But I really love how Tsuneo and Josie, after they start to get comfortable with each other and start to develop a friendship, have this fantastic back and forth. Again, she's all Sundere. She tries to act tough. And then he has no problem teasing her. And ultimately, they stand on pretty level ground. For example, I think the two things that stand out the most is when she says, like, I've had five boyfriends at once. <laughs> and then he takes her to the, I don't know where it was, the store or whatever. The library? Or uh, Oh, yeah, the library. And he, and he like calls that out to whoever they're talking to like oh well she's got oh, no no it was at the crepe place wasn't it mm -hmm. when they're eating the crepes um i don't remember what what the the conversation was but i think the shop owner said like oh is this your boyfriend she's like no it's not my boyfriend and then he's like well yeah she doesn't need another boyfriend she's got like five boyfriends at once and then she gets all embarrassed and the other one is when they're um i think they're in a park um they're kind of just getting they're, they're strolling through the grass and she's blowing bubbles in his face, I think. So then he turns around and starts pushing her backwards. And he's laughing and joking around with her. And she's like panicking to a certain certain degree because he's pushing her really fast. And I don't know, those little moments I thought just really built up the chemistry between the two of them and made me feel pretty convinced um, about them as a romantic couple. And I think that's why I also like their relationship here more so than... Um, Cherry and Smiles in World's Bubble Up like Soda Pop, not to kind of spoil that movie, but you see their relationship develop more here through these montages rather than us only seeing like a couple couple frames of it. Yeah, I think that's important. Like, as I always say, I don't want to be told that something is the way it is. I want to be shown that. I want to be convinced. And yeah, they did a great job in the beginning of this movie really setting up that dynamic um, between the two main characters. Yeah, especially when he takes her to the sea for the first time and then picks her up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this the is this already beginning the romantic relationship? Actually, that's another great scene I didn't even think about um, that, again, shows or sets up that Josie's a very strong person. At no point does she ask for Tsuneo's help. 
mm-hmm. um, when her, I think her wheelchair gets stuck in the sand and then she falls out of it. And instead of saying, hey, pick me up or hey, help me out, she just starts army crawling towards the sea because she's so determined to reach her goal. She's so determined to, um, you know, taste the water and be able to to confirm what her father told her. And then Sune on the flip side doesn't even need to really ask her if she needs help. He just kind of picks her up and helps her get to that finish line, um, which I think then represents how he just innately understands what she needs um, and, and what he needs to do to support her and just does it, and she's fine with it. Yeah. For the second part of the movie, Grandma grounds Josie and threatens to cut off Tsunamo's manhood should the pair go on any more excursions. But they end up going on excursions anyways and end up at a library where we learn that Josie's namesake comes from one of French author Francois Sagan's works. A librarian named Kana tries to bond with Josie over this fact, but we learn through this and a children's read-along that Josie is socially inept as fuck. Apparently she cannot handle feelings of jealousy well either, as she no longer wants Tsunamo under her employ when she sees him shooting the shit with his diving shop co-worker, Mai. Tsunamo makes it up to her with a fishy gift, all puns intended, and their bond grows ever closer as they visit a tiger at the zoo, an animal which Josie fears the most but takes comfort within Tsunamo's embrace. Eventually, Grandma dies of off-screen disease, leaving Josie to find a way to fend for herself by pursuing a futile dream of becoming a starving artist. Mai Tai pays her a visit to tell her to quit falling back on Tsunamo so he can pursue his Jotaro marine biologist cosplay dreams without having to pity Josie's disability. Oof. Tsunamo visits her shortly afterwards thanks to poor timing, and Josie gives him one more assignment to take her back to the sea before cutting him off faster than a fish fillet. Josie wheels off and is about to become human frogger in the midst of traffic, so cue Tsunamo's ultimate anime film run after the girl trope, until he is sent fly fishing into the air by a vehicle in his attempt to save her. Damn. Okay, so there's a lot I have to say about Mai, but I think I'm going to save it till the end because there's a lot that also happens with Mai in the last part of the movie. So I'll kind of bring that all together when we get there. Um, But I really appreciate that Josie is the one wanting to go out and experience the world with Suneo's help and support rather than her longing to go out and explore the world, but him having to push her or force her to break free. Um, I feel like that's slightly different than what we often get in some of these um, slice of life type anime stories. Um, And I think it plays nicely into, again, the fact that Josie is a very uh, strong-willed person who wants independence that she doesn't quite have yet. But I think the tough part about the second part of the movie is that we start to see Josie's life spiral downward and it's it's very heartbreaking and I think it's because it's a very gradual spiraling downward (laughs) like Mm -hmm. she goes from hopeful and strong despite some of the things that are happening in her life to getting more and more defeated and it just sucks it's really sad to watch like it's it's not just one thing that happens to her like damn there's things that happen over and over and over again or not over and over and over again but back to back to back like some of the initial things I think I can think of is first getting jealous of Mai and Tsuneo um, and then her grandmother passing away and she's so sad but continues to push on, you know, living on her own and getting a job. And then Mai fucks her up by saying she needs to set Tsuneo free because she's a burden on him. And I'm like, damn, give this girl a break. We need to protect Josie, okay? We need to protect her. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because we've seen the movie and or we've seen Tsuneo and Josie's relationship through a rose-colored lens up until this point. 
So I think this is where Josie comes to the realization that it, even though she's been able to explore this whole world, it's not an entirely perfect world, right? It's where reality just starts to set in. And I highlighted this in my notes when the social worker visits Josie to check on her status once her grandma passes away. And he, like, she tells him that she wants to earn a living as an artist, but the social worker asks her to be realistic. And so he says, dreams are one thing, reality is another. I think that's the most scathing sentence a millennial can hear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, yeah, again, that's, that's basically what happens throughout this second half is, like, Josie has to come to terms with what reality, like, what it means to actually be in the outside world, right? Because, again, it's not all rainbows and butterflies to <laughs> to use Maroon 5 as a reference. <laughs> um, I will also say, poor grandma, she was just a plot device. I thought she's going to play a bigger part um, in Josie's story, but yeah, she, she, her and her death were just plot devices to kind of kickstart Josie's downward spiral <laughs> into depression and loneliness, and yeah, poor girl. Yeah, I thought she was like supposed to be the lukewarm like evil godmother although she wasn't like <laughs> evil in this film she was just kind of there yeah um but yeah you're right like it's her death was just to kind of take um josie's character development to the next level and just a bit of trivia here with josie so i think her actual name is kumiko uh the grandmother yeah. mentions at the beginning but she's been going by this name josie and I think uh, the film mentions that it was taken from a work by uh, French author Francois Sagan. And I just happened to look this up where um, Wikipedia mentions that Sagan's characters, which became something of an icon for disillusioned teenagers, are in some ways similar to those of J.D. Salinger. Um, those of you who don't know or don't remember from high school, J.D. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye, which was probably one of the biggest teenage angst novels we ever <laughs> had to read. Um, so it kind of makes sense that Josie would find such affinity with the name Josie because it relates to characters that I think are within her same range of personality. Yeah, I could see that. I've also never heard of Sagan, I think, before this movie. Maybe yeah. I'm just uncultured as fuck in that way. But yeah, that was my first time ever hearing of this author. Same. Well, because we're not French <laughs> and we're not like literary genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One other thing I want to mention with this part goes back to the Clarion Angel reference. And Suneo explains that a Clarion Angel is a rare species of fish that's only found near Mexico. And he admired this type of fish uh, as a child while uh, exploring a local fish shop. And this is kind of what triggers him to study marine biology. And again, I was just researching this more on Wikipedia, the number one resource for any sort of research. <laughs> but it mentions that clarion angelfish are typically encountered as either solitary individuals or in shoals or schools of fish. And it also mentions that it is a little studied species. So I see this as another sea-related metaphor for you know Josie kind of being misunderstood and in her own solitary situation so imagining her as like a human representation of the clarion angel so it's fitting that Sunio gifts her with that weird clarion angel lamp I guess that he made it himself 
Yeah, I, I think he grabbed it from the diving shop or something and then crafted it together. <laughs> it's kind of like that when you find out about uh, Mrs. Puff's husband and SpongeBob. Oh. <laughs> like he ends up being a light. That's what that scene reminded me of. It's like, damn, what a sorry fate for this fish. But going back to the Clarion Angel reference, I think as much as it is a dream for Sunea to learn more about this fish, he has his own, again, Clarion Angel fish in Josie and trying to learn more about her and empathize with her throughout this movie. Last thing I'll actually comment on, I forgot about this, is I always talk about in anime films or like these romance anime films, there's always a scene where the male protagonist runs after his his love interest. Yeah. <laughs> I like how I almost called like I called it out as soon as I saw Suneo run after Josie while she, her wheelchair was stuck in the middle of the street. And then the film knocks me off my feet by showing him getting knocked off his feet i was like okay you you got me for a second and you i think thought he got isekai'd at that moment temporarily until he woke up yeah into a sea of fish <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i thought that was gonna be the one and done for like the anime run after the girl trope but we'll see it in this final part yeah I, yeah you're right there it happens <laughs> twice Jeez. It's like i thought like this was just a a a subtly humorous commentary on how tropey this thing is but then they just reinsert it um, at the very end <laughs> and speaking of the final part for the conclusion of Josie the tiger and the fish Tsunamo is rushed to the hospital and survives but learns that his legs sustain severe damage that will require two months of healing and rehab cutting into his Jotaro cosplay dreams and his diving excursions Josie and Mai Tai do their best to lift Tsunamo out of his funk, and the two have an estrogen-slinging match over who has better feelings for the harem leader as Josie comes up with an anime art scheme to win Tsunamo's heart. It's kind of like a best waifu contest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no. like arguing with someone over who's best waifu. <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest scene in this movie yeah. where they're like, I have better feelings for him or something. <laughs> but anyways... Suno is brought to the library where Josie hosts another children's read-along of her own work, The Mermaid and the Shining Wing, which metaphorically encourages Tsunamo to continue pursuing his dreams and to worry less about her. Tsunamo puts his all into a rehab workout montage and is discharged on Christmas Eve with the intent to meet up with Josie, but she is nowhere to be found, for she is facing her own furry feline tiger foe at the zoo once more in her bid for independence. Tsunamo has a redemption arc for his anime film run after the girl trope and coincidentally saves Josie from another wild round of wheels on the slope. The two confess their love for each other and we finally get an anime film kiss to seal the deal. After a string of mid credit scenes showing the couple and other characters in their element, Tsunamo pursuing his Jotaro cosplay dreams in Mexico and Josie pursuing her millennial struggle of holding down an office job, Tsunamo surprises Josie in the post-credits by visiting her in Japan during spring break in the middle of cherry blossom season, fulfilling a piece of dialogue between the two earlier in the movie. Rub-a-dub-dub, these two are in love. There's also a, a post, or I guess a during credits moment where we see Josie working on her artwork. I don't think it's super obvious, but I think she's at one of those like I don't know, guys. I'm not an artist. One of those art tables. It's like slightly slanted and she's got like mm -hmm. her pencil. And I think somebody, maybe the friend from the library is next to her, kind of like looking at her work, maybe providing some feedback. 
I think that was supposed to be a scene that showed us that she's still working towards her dream of becoming an artist. I think. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because I don't see Josie wanting to just stay at an office job. Yeah, she looked pretty miserable. <laughs> I think we can all relate. We both have office jobs. Yeah, so she, like, she has this, this creative outlook, which I think allows her also just to connect more socially with others. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this ending overall I thought was great. I mean, I think we pretty much hit rock bottom, not only on Josie's part, but on Suneo's part and through supporting each other, they're able to overcome that and get back on top. Um, I will say, so I, I kind of didn't expect them to have Suneo, um, be, uh, immobile uh, I don't know the correct term for it but basically not be able to walk because of his injuries for two months I I felt like so when, when he got hit by the car I was like okay they're probably gonna make him immobile um that way he can see eye to eye with Josie but then I was like no that's too tropey they're not gonna do that they're just gonna make him you know injured and then you know Josie has to apologize and she feels ashamed that you know he got hit by a car because of her and then they did it anyway and I was like oh shit they actually did do it okay um and I will say <laughs> <laughs> I was like back and forth on whether or not they're actually gonna go that route but I will say, I wish there was a bit more realization from Tsuneo of what it's like to be in Josie's position, unable to walk and needing a wheelchair. It felt like the focus was more on his dream of studying abroad in Mexico being crushed, um, rather than seeing things from Josie's perspective and understanding her struggles with not being able to reach certain things, similar to that monologue that she had at the beach before he got hit by the car, where she was like, everything's out of reach, both physically and metaphorically. I, I think they kind of hinted at that for a second in the hospital when Josie went to visit him and he was kind of saying like, oh, you know, poor me or whatever. I'm in this situation, but he stopped himself and then they both kind of just ignored what he was about to say. But yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wish there was a little more something from Suneo kind of realizing like this is what it's like to be, you know, in Josie's similar position. This is what it's like to not be able to reach your dreams because of something like like this. Um, but we didn't quite get that. So I would have liked a little bit more of that, but I understand why they wanted to focus so much on Suneo's dream being slightly out of reach because of it. Yeah, I guess to kind of piggyback off of that, in a way, Suneo himself becomes what Josie was at the beginning of this film with all of the physical disability aside. It, he starts to have this really bleak outlook on life and believes again, that the universe has been conspiring against him. So I think it's interesting that it's Josie this time that helps him break out of this funk. I get I don't think it directly addresses again the physical limitation aspect of it, but it focuses more on him seeing the brighter side of life uh, throughout this ordeal that he has with his, I guess, temporary disability because he ends up going to rehab to fight through it. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing is that you know they're both in a similar situation, but he's able to come out of it where Josie likely will not be able to because she was born with this disability and i just felt like that part was a little bit glossed over i'm not saying they had to make some big dramatic scene around it but just some acknowledgement more of an acknowledgement from tuneo about seeing or starting to understand a bit what it's like to be you know disabled similar to josie because she struggled so much with it throughout their friendship their relationship um and he's so in tune with her that i felt like that was a little bit him being out of tune with her does that mm-hmm. make sense yeah um but i think overall um I, I i wouldn't want anything deep about that because similar to the the beginning of the movie where they just say this is just the way it is for josie i felt like it may it may have taken away from that same tone if they did dive too much into it so it's kind of a you know 
which side do you do you want to pick at that point? Yeah, and I think that message, the message that the movie wants to convey, comes out um, in the, I guess you could call this the climax, or one of the climaxes, where uh, Josie invites indirectly invites Suneo to her reading of her book, um, which again, the whole story is just a metaphor of their relationship together. And the most poignant part of the story is when the mermaid, which I guess is supposed to be Josie, encourages the winged man, which is supposed to be Suneo, by saying, like, raise your head, you have larger wings in your heart. With wings of the heart, you can fly anywhere. As to t- as it to tell him, like, you aren't limited by anything physically or mentally. Like, just go with what your heart desires and just stick with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And now that I think about it a little bit more, I think another reason why I would have expected a little more consciousness of Suneo, you know, being temporarily disabled is because right before he gets hit by the car and he and Josie have that little spat at the beach, she says, she comments something about him being healthy. Like you wouldn't understand as a healthy person. Mm. And so there it's like, I almost thought they were going to go that direction and just say, hey, here's Suneo in her situation. Now he can be a little bit more sensitive, a little more understanding to what she's been going through um, through a similar lens because he's now temporarily in a wheelchair. Um, but again, like I, it's fine. Like I, I think if they dove too much into that, that would have ruined the the tone um, that they set in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, which is why I think with this story of the mermaid and the shiny wing, again, the message is like catch all there without yeah. directly addressing like that part of Suneo, which he should have addressed. But again, it, it's a theme that kind of fits all around. Yeah. And the other thing I wish that they acknowledged um, is my being a fucking bitch. <laughs> so mm-hmm. now is the time where I get to talk about this. So thinking holistically about the movie, it's kind of annoying that she was bitchy to Josie multiple times, but never really suffered any consequences other than being indirectly rejected by Tsuneo and him ending up with with Josie. I think that's her her karma for sure. Um, but I felt like they they went a little bit over the top with my, she actually seems like a kind and, and sweet person, um, at the beginning of the movie based on her interactions with Suneo and Hayato and even her initial interaction with Josie. So it's kind of weird that she acts so nasty towards Josie multiple times, simply out of jealousy. It kind of makes it seem unnatural or unreasonable. And she overall just kind of seems there for the purpose of the love triangle and for some additional conflict, kind of similar to how grandma was basically just a plot device. And I don't know, I I feel like we already have a lot of conflict with Josie's struggles with independence. So this added on top of it felt like a bit much. Um, I don't think it was really needed that Mai was there to be a fucking nasty bitch and (laughs) be so rude and say horrible things to Josie. Um, just because she was jealous. Yeah, it was weird because, like you said, the beginning of the movie, Maya was a fine character, and then she just has this about face, and maybe it's just a thing with people who are in love with the same person that (laughs) you see the nastier side of them. But I think what was a little bit annoying about Maya is that at the end, they're really... Like, I get it, like, um, Suneo ends up with Josie, which is the biggest slight to Mai. <laughs> Although yeah. I think she, it looks like in the mid-credits, she ends up with Hayato anyways. Yeah, it does point. seem like that. They, they alluded to something. But like she never gets reprimanded for what she did. 
Yeah, and that's what bugs me. Like, does Suneo even find out ever yeah. that she said those nasty things to Josie? I get why Josie may not want to go to Suneo and be like, your friend was a fucking bitch to me. But Hayato was there. Mm-hmm. And I just would have liked to have seen something where Suneo comes to this realization or is made aware of that that horrible conversation that they had and tells her, hey, that's not okay. Somebody needs to tell her that's not okay. I mean, that was horrible what she said. And I'm I'm hoping that off-screen Hayato kind of laid into her about it. Well, then all he did was just ask her to dinner after that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but even like on the bridge, when she says, like, set him free, you're, just a, you're basically just a burden on him. I'm like, oh, my God, she's such a nasty bitch. Yeah. Kind of like uh, that character in A Silent Voice, Ueno. Yeah, but let's not dive too much because there's some spoilers with yeah. that. But yes, exactly. Um, that's exactly how I feel. Similar situation. But anyway, I think they maybe made up at the end based on the, the credits um, and how the end of the movie played out, um, knowing that they were both just happy that Suneo was able to start walking again and could fulfill his dream but yeah i don't know she just got away scotch-free it seems other than i mean i guess the biggest consequence is that she doesn't get suneo at the end yeah so tough luck there bitch <laughs> <laughs> speaking of suneo I, I just wanted to point out um once he attends that reading session he finally gets the motivation because i think at some point it shows him almost going into rehab but then he loses like the motivation to yeah but then after hearing josie's story he pushes through rehab and we get that montage and there's a song that plays here that i wanted to comment on it's called shinkai by eve and i believe shinkai using google as the ultimate translation tool um, they defined it as ocean of the heart or i guess deep ocean and eve you may recognize just from those vocals as the singer of kai kai kitan kai kai kitan yeah. i fucking love that song <laughs> it's a very distinct voice i don't know how to describe it it's not like slightly nasally um but i thought the song appropriately emulated that feeling of drifting through a seascape and i think its lyrics looking it up in the english translation kind of symbolizes suneo's push to become hopeful again at this point in the movie and josie's own growth and starting to kind of break out of her shell and go out into the open let me chime in on that song um so for those of you who have listened to us for a while and if you tuned in to our jujitsu kaisen part one review you know i fucking love the song kai kai kitan that whole opening is phenomenal and i really am into eve the band because of that song um but then hearing this song i'm just not feeling it like it, it sounds fine it's a great fit for the movie but i i was just like okay about the song i was expecting some big things or to be more blown away when i saw eve was doing a song for this movie then i listened to it and i was like eh, it's fine it's yeah it's, all right. it's not like the red wimp song from weathering with you, <laughs> if you know what i'm talking about and eve also does the ending credits uh song which is i'll know waltz i think that one of the the two songs that they do in this movie that's more of an eh song to me but I, I don't I kind of like this insert song that they had, um, especially because with the, the ending credit song, the musician in me couldn't understand the tempo <laughs> at some point. Uh, but then it implies like with the waltz, again, for the musicians out there who understand this, like it's in three, four time. So that started to make sense. But listening to it first, I was like musically confused. <laughs> musically confused. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Shinkai Eve 
It is on my Spotify playlist. It's it's an okay banger. I'll just say that. It's interesting that you would put it on your Spotify if it's just okay to you. You've actually done that a few times. You've done that with the second ending for Jujutsu, for <laughs> Jujutsu Kaisen, the one where the chick sings like really high and you're like, oh my God, my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's on there. And you've got some like other songs, like the Weathering With You song that I was like this one's meh and then you ended up putting on the spotify playlist because i like to have a holistic playlist of songs that you know i may not necessarily enjoy but it is anime related i'm the total opposite for me my spotify playlist my weeb playlist is like um what do you call it it's like the the mvp list like you have to be Mm. amazing to be on my spotify playlist for me to listen to you every single day when i'm working or driving there are like the only like songs that i wouldn't put are things like the attack on titan season two ending where i always mention this in certain episodes yeah that one the the second op for death note it still has yet to grow on me just (laughs) because of how screamo it is so i i do have limitations but if it's a song like shinkai like i don't mind it like yeah, you, you need little lulls in the playlist every now and then. You're you're the music person, so you have much more appreciation for that. So I can see why you'd be more open to your playlist. Plus, you let me throw on all sorts of weeb shit on there whenever I want. Fucking all the Gintama, Gintama, shit. Gintama openings, like you, you, <laughs> I think the other day you were playing your playlist, and then out of nowhere, a new Gintama opening that I put on there showed up, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm like, yeah. "Oh, it's Gintama. <laughs> Don't worry." <laughs> and about I have it. like. I want to say close to 200 songs on my playlist, and I recognize every one of them. <laughs> and then I heard this. So I was like, You looked is... right at me. You're like, What is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Gintama. Like, like, oh, I okay. knew this wasn't something I added. <laughs> so, anyway, back to the ending. Um, I do want to talk about the actual ending, the last moments. And honestly, at first, I was about to flip my shit at this ending because they they just stopped. Like, the, the movie just ended they confess they kiss and then the movie just ended and i was like no way this is not the ending of this movie it's been so great so far like please don't just abruptly end it like this but they did give us moments during the credits and the after credits scene to close out everyone's stories which for a second i was panicking i'm like don't do this it's gonna ruin the movie if you do this to me (laughs) yeah and i think that works because for it the final ending to actually be them embracing and kissing i thought that was fitting and so to just add that as mid credits and post credits was fulfilling enough to for us to know that there is some closure there. And I actually want to talk about this this kiss thing, <laughs> not to yeah. kind of be gross, but not to be gross because <laughs> you know, like the hopeless romantic in me just loved that they included this scene, and I think it's because the past three movies we've seen that are also like considered romance films they never show this and i get it with like maybe this is spoilers but i get it with certain movies because they're trying to focus on a different thing but something about this is like it just provides a very nice sense of closure to suneo and josie's relationship yes um i will say okay so two comments about this very very end part um i felt like it was slightly rushed Again, it, it just abruptly ended. Because she rushed down the sleep. Yeah, that too. But like the actual just ending scene felt a little bit rushed. I wish we got um, more romance elements 
towards the end to kind of lead up to this. Honestly, I wish we got more romance elements throughout the movie because I think the only one that we really, really got was when Tuneo and Josie were about to kiss in her room when he gave her the lamp. That was like the biggest one, I feel like. But mm-hmm. I, I felt like we were going to get more romance elements because we were at the end, but then the ending was rushed and we didn't get those romance elements other than the, the kiss and the confession. But then also, like, when Josie asked about his trip to Mexico, he was like, well, yeah, I'm still going to go, but I love you. (laughs) And I was like, hang on a second, what? That was such a weird thing for him to say. I I think it would have been better if he said, yeah, I'm still going to go, and then followed up with something like, but I'll come back to you someday and we can be together, you know, or I'll visit every time I can, and then, you know, after my my study abroad trip, we'll be together. But he was just like, yeah, I'm still going to go to Mexico, but I love you and all. (laughs) Like, okay, (laughs) that's such a fucking weird thing to say. I don't know if it was another lost in translation thing with the the way the subtitles played out but i was kind of surprised by that yeah i mean at the very least we do see him come back at the very end oh yeah you see that yeah that promise fulfilled and then i did find it slightly cheesy the way josie is caught by tsuneo the same way that she was at the beginning of the movie i get it i get what they're trying to do here it's i appreciate that they're Oh, I just hit my microphone. I don't know if you heard anything there, but I pre- I hit it again. <laughs> I'm getting really excited about this, but I appreciate that it brings their story full circle, literally starting their story the same, or sorry, ending their story story the same way they started it. However, it did feel a little bit forced. And then I'm like, how the fuck did Tsuneo get there just in time? Wasn't he really far behind her? There's just yeah. no way. I'm sorry. There's no way he could have gotten there in time. Also account that he was still on crutches and couldn't walk and properly. And there was snow on the ground? Yeah. Holy shit. So I think I always call this out. Like there are certain things where you're reminded that you're watching an anime <laughs> and this is one of them. And then again, I'm like some dude. Pu- I mean, I don't think he meant to push her because he was trying to chase his, his dog who was running away. Yeah. I get that panic, right? Any pet owner, I'm sure, would. But I'm also like, dude, another person knocked into her, and then she goes sliding down this hill and could seriously injure herself, and we don't talk about it. We don't talk about that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) I would think they'd have, like, a brake thing on the wheelchair, although I think that might just force her to eject out of the chair because of the force. Well, I think, so when he runs, the the, the guy runs into her, you see her knock into um, the the handle, the control handle of her motorized wheelchair, and then she's trying to push it back when she's sliding down the hill. Oh, but I think right, either right. at that point it's broken or the momentum is already going. I mean, it's a snowy hill. She's probably mm-hmm. on ice. There's no way she can stop. Um, but you're right. I mean, either way, like she either just slides down or she comes to an abrupt stop and flies out of her wheelchair. Yeah. Um, and it's just terrible that both times on the same fucking hill, some dude caused her to slide down. I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Suneo's there. Out of sheer coincidence to save her. Out of sheer anime plot hole to somehow make yeah. it there fast enough. <laughs> but it was a really lovely ending. Um, I thought it was super cute that he kisses her and then she looks all sundere and then he's like, is something wrong? And she's like, no, it was great. And then she kisses him back. That was just super sweet. Um, the post or the, the during credits, what do you call it? The mid credits. Mid credits. Um, it was nice to have resolutions to everyone's stories, to see them have their long-distance relationship, live their separate lives, but knowing that they're still technically together. Um, and then the after credit scene, when he surprises her by coming to visit her during his first break, I think that was just really great. Because it's not saying like they had to wait the entire probably year, maybe two years he's studying abroad. It shows that you know they're making it work throughout this long-distance relationship. Although he said that he 
intended to surprise her. She wasn't really that surprised. But I think that just feeds into her Sundere character. Yeah, her personality, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, you're here. And they got to see the cherry blossoms that her father used to take her to see. Oh, is that what that was? I think so, yeah. Because I think they talked about how her father would take her to see the cherry blossoms. And it, lo- it would look like it was raining cherry blossom petals mm, and okay. they were in the spring and they were there with the cherry blossoms. So I, I thought, yeah, that's what that was. <laughs> I thought she just wanted to see them at some point and then like that's resolved here at the very end. But yeah, yeah, I, it was a very enjoyable romantic film. Again, I think I was just happy with that closure. Yeah. Again, I panicked when I was like, this cannot be the ending. There's no fucking way. And then they gave us the resolution that we were looking for. And I was very thankful. Nice sigh of relief. Yes. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Josie, the tiger, and the fish. So how many Josie and the tiger fishes out of 10 would you give this movie? I would give it a solid 8.5. I thought it was really enjoyable, as I said in the beginning. Um, I thought it was a solid story with incredibly endearing characters beautifully animated wonderful music that just encapsulated the the whimsical feel of chasing your dreams um it certainly had some plot holes some of the characters felt like they were there just to be there um and there was nothing that was particular particularly stand out about this movie so i think an 8.5 is um it's a high score but it's just high enough where I feel like it's fair for what we got from this movie as a whole. Well, what about you? Now, my score was close. I gave this eight Josie and the Tiger Fishes out of 10. It is a feel-good romance film that doesn't break any new ground, but I think it still carries some heart. And I know that's probably going to be a going thing for a lot of these romance films that we happen to review. So I think my going criteria is that the film should really sell the relationship between the paired couple without feeling forced. And I think this film does a good job of it when compared to some of the previous recent outings that we've seen. As we see the ups and downs of Suneo's and Josie's relationship, I also love the film's abundant use of the metaphors that were related to the sea. As cliche as they seemed, I think it fit well with what they were trying to convey between uh suneo and josie and i've said this ad nauseum but i'm just glad that the movie provides that bit of closure to the main character's relationships in the end again compared to the last couple of movies that we watched uh the last thing i'll say is that i kind of like that the film doesn't let josie's disability become a focal point of the movie and it doesn't bring too much attention to it or put her in this kind of woe is me situation because of it but rather, it, I think it seamlessly uses it to develop the movie's timeless and unconditional message of, again, not letting your dreams be dreams. I completely agree. And I do have two more comments um, just to kind of close things out. And one of those is about her disability. I can't speak much to her disability because I'm not familiar with it. I don't know anyone personally with a similar disability, but even as someone who is distant from this type of disability, I felt the writers were incredibly respectful 
toward Josie. Um, for example, when she moves about her house without the wheelchair, they don't make it some big fucking deal. They don't zoom in on her or, like you said, focus in on it. She just moves about naturally. It's just a part of her normal life, and they made it feel very normal to me as the viewer. So I think props to the writer for, for making that choice. Um, the other comment I have is around the themes of, of course, dreams, but then also independence that we see in this movie. I would say my favorite part of the movie is seeing two people have completely separate dreams and working to achieve them with the support of the other. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that Tuneo didn't end up throwing his dream away to stay with Josie, right? Because that would have felt so cliche and very unrealistic. And honestly, it would have been a very dumb decision on his part because of how important the study abroad trip was to him. So they decide instead to have this long distance relationship while he does his study abroad thing. And then Josie works on her dream um, of being an artist in the meantime. And then to kind of piggyback off of that is that theme of independence. Um, seeing Josie being independent from her grandmother, seeing Tsuneo being independent from Josie sort of-ish, kind of going back to Maya's comment about like setting him free or whatever. Um, and then just seeing them be able to be two separate people while still being together as a couple. I also did note like Josie was growing independent from Suneo as well. Namely, like, for example, that moment in the library when she's signing up for the library card. And then she's kind of checking to see if Suneo is there to assist her. Um, I thought that was another great indication of independence as well as her switching from, I don't know what it's called, maybe like a more traditional wheelchair um, to a motorized wheelchair. Mm -hmm. um, signaling again that, that independence that she's starting to have. Plus, of course, you get like, you know, her grandmother passing away. So then she has to become more independent. Um, you get the house getting knocked down at the end, which I think signals like she really is independent at this point. Her past is kind of in the past now. Um, so, yeah, I think that that theme played well into the film. It probably was a bit in the shadow of the theme of achieving your dreams. But the theme of independence was also very prevalent, very important. Yeah, again, that theme permeates across all different kinds of people, right? We're regardless of whether you have a physical disability or not. And I think that's what resonates most with this movie. Again, yeah, it has a character that, that features this unique um, physical handicap, but it doesn't bring attention to it and still has this message of regardless of your situation or what you may be physically or mentally, you can still aspire for the dreams that you've always wanted to pursue. Yeah. I love it. This is a great movie. I just, to me, it's one that I would not um, hesitate to watch again. It's, it may not go down as like a, an anime movie classic, but I think it's a solid film that I would recommend to anyone. Um, and I think it has a story that is unique, but also cliche enough where you know what to expect. Yeah. And that wraps up episode 49 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.